Chapter Thirty Four of the Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens. Chapter Thirty Four, wherein Mr. Ralph Nickleby is visited by persons with whom the reader has already been made acquainted. What a damnation long time you have kept me ringing at this confounded old cracked tea kettle of a bell every tinkle of which is enough to throw a strong man into blue convulsions upon my life and soul oh damn it said mr mantalini to newman noggs scraping his boots as he spoke on ralph nickleby's scraper i didn't hear the bell more than once replied newman then you're most immensely and outrageously deaf said mr mantalini as deaf as a damnation post mr mantalini had got by this time into the passage and was making his way to the door of ralph's office with very little ceremony when newman interposed his body and hinting that mr nickleby was unwilling to be disturbed inquired whether the client's business was of a pressing nature it's most demnably particular said mr mantalini it is to melt some scraps of dirty paper into bright shining chinking tinkling damned mint sauce newman uttered a significant grunt and taking mr mantalini's proffered card limped with it into his master's office as he thrust his head in the door he saw that ralph had resumed the thoughtful posture into which he had fallen after perusing his nephew's letter and that he seemed to have been reading it again as he once more held it open in his hand the glance was but momentary for ralph being disturbed turned to demand the cause for the interruption as newman stated it the cause himself swaggered into the room and grasping ralph's horny hand with uncommon affection vowed that he had never seen him looking so well in all his life there's quite a bloom upon your damned countenance said mr mantalini seating himself unbidden and arranging his hair and whiskers you look quite juvenile and jolly damn it we are alone returned ralph tartly what do you want with me good cried mr mantalini displaying his teeth what did i want yes ha <laughs> ha very good what did i want ah <laughs> oh dem what do you want man demanded ralph sternly damnition discount returned mr mantalini with a grin and shaking his head waggishly money is scarce said ralph damned scarce or i shouldn't want it interrupted mr mantalini the times are bad and one scarcely knows whom to trust continued ralph i don't want to do business just now in fact i would rather not but as you are a friend how many bills have you there two returned mr mantalini what's the gross amount damned trifling five and seventy and the dates two months and four i'll do them for you mind for you i wouldn't for many people for five and twenty pounds said ralph deliberately oh damn it cried mr mantalini whose face lengthened considerably at this handsome proposal why that leaves you fifty retorted ralph what would you have let me see the names you're so damned hard nickleby remonstrated mr mantalini let me see the names replied ralph impatiently extending his hand for the bills well they're not sure but they're safe enough do you consent to the terms and will you take the money i don't want you to do so i'd rather you didn't damn it nickleby can't you began mr mantalini no replied ralph interrupting him i can't will you take the money down mind no delay no going into the city and pretending to negotiate with some other party who has no existence and never had is it a bargain or is it not ralph pushed some papers from him as he spoke and carelessly rattled his cash-box as though by mere accident the sound was too much for mr mantalini 
he closed the bargain directly it reached his ears and ralph told the money out upon the table he had scarcely done so and mr mantonini had not yet gathered it all up when a ring was heard at the bell and immediately afterwards newman ushered in no less a person than madame mantonini at sight of whom mr mantonini evinced considerable discomposure and swept the cash into his pocket with remarkable alacrity oh you are here said madame mantalini tossing her head yes my life and soul i am replied her husband dropping on his knees and pouncing with kitten-like playfulness upon a stray sovereign i am here my soul's delight upon tom tiddler's ground picking up the damnition gold and silver i am ashamed of you said madame mantalini with much indignation ashamed of me my joy it knows it is talking damned charming sweetness but naughty fibs returned mr mantalini it knows it is not ashamed of its own popolorum tibby whatever were the circumstances which had led to such a result it certainly appeared as though the popolorum tibby had rather miscalculated for the nonce the extent of his lady's affection madame mantalini only looked scornful in reply and turning to ralph begged him to excuse her intrusion which is entirely attributable said madame to the gross misconduct and most improper behaviour of mr mantalini of me my essential juice of pineapple of you returned his wife but i will not allow it i will not submit to be ruined by the extravagance and profligacy of any man i call mr nickleby to witness the course i intend to pursue with you pray don't call me to witness anything ma'am said ralph settle it between yourselves settle it between yourselves no but i must beg of you as a favour said madame mantalini to hear me give him notice of what is my fixed intention to do my fixed intention sir repeated madame mantalini darting an angry look at her husband will she call me sir cried mantalini who dote upon her with the demnest ardour she who coils her fascinations round me like a pure angelic rattlesnake it will be all up with my feelings she will throw me into a demmed state don't talk of feelings sir rejoined madame mantalini seating herself and turning her back upon him you don't consider mine i do not consider yours my soul exclaimed mr mantalini no replied his wife and notwithstanding various blandishments on the part of mr mantalini madame mantalini still said no and said it too with such determined and resolute ill-temper that mr mantalini was clearly taken aback his extravagance mr nickleby said madame mantalini addressing herself to ralph who leant against his easy chair with his hands behind him and regarded the amiable couple with a smile of the supremest and most unmitigated contempt his extravagance is beyond all bounds i should scarcely have supposed it answered ralph sarcastically i assure you mr nickleby however that it is returned madame mantalini it makes me miserable i am under constant apprehensions and in constant difficulty and even this said madame mantalini wiping her eyes is not the worst he took some papers of value out of my desk this morning without asking my permission mr mantalini groaned slightly and buttoned his trouser pocket i am obliged continued madame mantalini since our late misfortunes to pay miss nag a great deal of money for having her name in the business and i really cannot afford to encourage him in all this wastefulness as i have no doubt that he came straight here mr nickleby to convert the papers i have spoken of into money and as you have assisted us very often before and are very much connected with us in this kind of matters i wish you to know the determination at which his conduct has compelled me to arrive mr mantalini groaned once more from behind his wife's bonnet and fitting a sovereign into one of his eyes winked the other at ralph 
having achieved this performance with great dexterity he whipped the coin into his pocket and groaned again with increased penitence i have made up my mind said madame mantalini as tokens of impatience manifested themselves in ralph's countenance to allowance him to do that my joy inquired mr mantalini who did not seem to have caught the words to put him said madame mantalini looking at ralph and prudently abstaining from the slightest glance at her husband lest his many graces should induce her to falter in her resolution to put him upon a fixed allowance and i say that if he has a hundred and twenty pounds a year for his clothes and pocket-money he may consider himself a very fortunate man mr mantalini waited with much decorum to hear the amount of the proposed stipend but when it reached his ears he cast his hat and cane upon the floor and drawing out his pocket-handkerchief gave vent to his feelings in a dismal moan damnition cried mr mantalini suddenly skipping out of his chair and as suddenly skipping into it again to the great discomposure of his lady's nerves but no it is a damned horrid dream it is not reality no comforting himself with this assurance mr mantalini closed his eyes and waited patiently till such time as he should wake up a very judicious arrangement observed ralph with a sneer if your husband will keep within it ma'am as no doubt he will damn it cried mr mantalini opening his eyes at the sound of ralph's voice it is a horrid reality she is sitting there before me there is the graceful outline of her form it cannot be mistaken there is nothing like it two countesses who had no outlines at all and the dowager's was a damned outline why is she so excruciatingly beautiful that i cannot be angry with her even now you have brought it upon yourself alfred returned madame mantalini still reproachfully but in a softened tone i am madame villain cried mr mantalini smiting himself on the head i will fill my pockets with change for a sovereign in halfpence and drown myself in the thames but i will not be angry with her even then for i will put a note in the twopenny post as i go along to tell her where the body is she will be a lovely widow i shall be a body some handsome woman will cry she will laugh damnably alfred you cruel cruel creature said madame mantalini sobbing at the dreadful picture she calls me cruel me me who for her sake will become a damned damp moist unpleasant body exclaimed mr mantalini you know it almost breaks my heart even to hear you talk of such a thing replied madame mantalini can i live to be mistrusted cried her husband have i cut my heart into a damned extraordinary number of little pieces and given them all away one after another to the same little engrossing damnation captivator and can i live to be suspected by her damn it no i can't ask mr nickleby whether the sum i have mentioned is not a proper one reasoned madame mantalini i don't want any sum replied her disconsolate husband i shall require no damned allowance i will be a body on this repetition of mr mantalini's fatal threat madame mantalini wrung her hands and implored the interference of ralph nickleby and after a great quantity of tears and talking and several attempts on the part of mr mantalini to reach the door preparatory to straightway committing violence upon himself that gentleman was prevailed upon with difficulty to promise that he wouldn't be a body this great point attained madame mantalini argued the question of the allowance and mr mantalini did the same taking occasion to show that he could live with uncommon satisfaction upon bread and water and go clad in rags but that he could not support existence with the additional burden of being mistrusted by the object of his most devoted and disinterested affection this brought fresh tears into madame mantalini's eyes which having just begun to open to some few of the demerits of mr mantalini 
were only open a very little way and could be easily closed again. The result was that without quite giving up the allowance question, Madame Mantellini postponed its further consideration, and Ralph saw clearly enough that Mr. Mantellini had gained a fresh lease of his easy life, and that for some time longer at all events his degradation and downfall were postponed. But it will come soon enough, thought Ralph. All love, bah, that I should use the cant of boys and girls, is fleeting enough, though that which has its sole root in the admiration of a whiskered face like that of yonder baboon perhaps lasts the longest as it originates in the greater blindness and is fed by vanity meantime the fools bring us grist to my mill so let them live out their day and the longer it is the better these agreeable reflections occurred to ralph nickleby as sundry small caresses and endearments supposed to be unseen were exchanged between the objects of his thoughts if you have nothing more to say my dear to mr nickleby said madame mantalini we will take our leaves I am sure we have detained him much too long already. Mr. Mantellini answered in the first instance by tapping Madame Mantellini several times on the nose, and then by remarking in words that he had nothing more to say. Damn it, I have, though, he added almost immediately, drawing Ralph into a corner. Here's an affair about your friend Sir Mulberry, such a damned extraordinary out-of-the-way kind of thing as never was, eh? What do you mean? asked Ralph. You don't know, damn it? asked Mr. Mantellini. I see by the paper that he was thrown from his cabriolet last night and severely injured, and that his life is in some danger, answered Ralph, with great composure. But I see nothing extraordinary in that. Accidents are not miraculous events, when men live hard and drive after dinner. Oof! cried Mr. Mantellini with a long, shrill whistle. Then don't you know how it was? Not unless it was as I have just supposed, replied Ralph, shrugging his shoulders carelessly as to give his questioner to understand that he had no curiosity upon the subject. "'Damn it, you amaze me!' cried Mr. Mantellini. Ralph shrugged his shoulders again, as if it were no great feat to amaze Mr. Mantellini, and cast a willful glance at the face of Newman Noggs, which had several times appeared behind a couple of panes of glass in the room door, it being part of Newman's duty, when unimportant people called, to make various feints of supposing that the bell had rung for him to show them out by the way of a gentle hint to such visitors that it was time to go. "'Don't you know?' said Mr. Mantellini, taking Ralph by the button. "'And it wasn't an accident at all, but damn furious manslaughtering attack made upon him by your nephew.' "'What?' snarled Ralph, clenching his fists and turning a livid white. "'Damn it, Nickleby, you're as great a tiger as he is,' said Mantellini, alarmed at these demonstrations. "'Go on,' cried Ralph. "'Tell me what you mean. What is this story?' "'Who told you? Speak,' growled Ralph. "'Do you hear me?' "'Gad, Nickleby,' said Mr. Mantellini, retreating towards his wife. "'What a damnable, fierce, old, evil genius you are! You're "'Enough to frighten the life and soul out of her little delicious wits, "'flying all at once into such a blazing, ravaging, raging passion as never was, damn it!' "'Pshaw!' rejoined Ralph, forcing a smile. "'It is but a manner.' "'It's a damned uncomfortable private madhouse sort of a manner,' said Mr. Mantellini, picking up his cane. Ralph affected to smile, and once more inquired from whom Mr. Mantellini had derived his information. "'From Pike, and a damned fine pleasant gentlemanly dog it is,' replied Mantellini. "'Damnition pleasant, and a tip-top sawyer.' "'And what said?' he asked Ralph, knitting his brows. "'That it happened this way, that your nephew met him at a coffee-house, fell upon him in the most damnable ferocity, followed him to his cab, swore he would ride home with him if he rode upon the horse's back, 
or hooked himself onto the horse's tail, smashed his countenance, which is damn fine countenance in his natural state, frightened the horse, pitched out Sir Mulberry and himself, and and was killed, interposed Ralph with gleaming eyes. Was he? Is he dead? Mantalini shook his head. Ah, said Ralph, turning away. Then he has done nothing. Stay, he added, looking round again. He broke a leg or an arm, or put his shoulder out, or fractured a collarbone, or ground a rib or two. His neck was saved for the halter, but he got some painful and slow healing injury for his trouble, did he? You must have heard that, at least. No, rejoined Mentalini, shaking his head again. Unless he was dashed into such little pieces that they blew away. He wasn't hurt, for he went off as quiet and comfortable as his damnition, said Mr. Mentalini, rather at a loss for a simile. And what, said Ralph, hesitating a little, what was the cause of the quarrel? You are the damnedest knowing hand, replied Mr. Mantellini, in an admiring tone. The cunningest, rummiest, superlativest old fox. Oh, damned, pretend now not to know that it was the little bright-eyed niece. The softest, sweetest, prettiest. Alfred interposed, Madame Mantellini. She is always right, rejoined Mr. Mantellini soothingly. And when she says it's time to go, it is time, and go she shall. And when she walks along the streets with her own tulip, the women shall say with envy she's got a dem fine husband, and the men shall say with rapture he's got a dem fine wife, and they shall both be right and neither wrong, upon my life and soul, oh, dem it. To which remarks, and many more, no less intellectual and to the purpose, Mr. Mantellini kissed the fingers of his gloves to Ralph Nickleby, and drawing his lady's arm through his, led her mincingly away. So, so, muttered Ralph, dropping into his chair. This devil is loose again, and thwarting me as he was born to do at every turn. He told me once there should be a day of reckoning between us. Sooner or later I'll make him a true prophet, for it shall surely come. Are you at home? asked Newman, suddenly popping in his head. No, replied Ralph, with equal abruptness. Newman withdrew his head, but thrust it in again. "'You're quite sure you're not at home, are you?' said Newman. "'What does the idiot mean?' cried Ralph testily. "'He's been waiting nearly ever since they first came in, and may have heard your voice, that's all,' said Newman, rubbing his hands. "'Who has?' demanded Ralph, wrought by the intelligence he had just heard, and his clerk's provoking coolness to an intense pitch of irritation. The necessity of a reply was superseded by the unlooked-for entrance of a third party. The individual in question, who, bringing his one eye, for he had but one, to bear on Ralph Nickleby, made a great many shambling bows, and sat himself down in an armchair, with his hands on his knees, his short black trousers drawn up so high in the legs by the exertion of seating himself that they scarcely reached below the tops of his Wellington boots. "'Why, this is a surprise,' said Ralph, bending his gaze upon the visitor and half smiling as he scrutinised him attentively. "'I should know your face, Mr. Squeers.' "'Ah!' replied that worthy. "'And you'd have to know it better, sir, if it hadn't been for all that I've been going through. Just lift that little boy off the tall stool in the back office and tell him to come in here. Will you, my man?' said Squeers, addressing himself to Newman. "'Oh, he's lifted himself off. My son, sir, little Wackford. What do you think of him, sir, for a specimen of the daughter boy's whole feeding?' "'Ain't he fit to bust out of his clothes, "'and start the seams and make the very buttons fly off with his fatness? "'Here's flesh!' cried Squeers, turning the boy about, "'and indenting the plumpest parts of his figure 
with diverse pokes and punches, to the great discomposure of his son and heir. Here's firmness, here's solidness. Why, you can hardly get up enough of him between your finger and thumb to pinch him, anywheres. In however good condition Master Squeers might have been, he certainly did not present this remarkable compactness of person, for on his father's closing his finger and thumb, in illustration of his remark, he uttered a sharp cry, and rubbed the place in the most natural manner possible. "'Well,' remarked Squeers, a little disconcerted, "'I had him there, but that's because we breakfasted early this morning, and he hasn't had his lunch yet. Why, you couldn't shut a bit of him in a door when he's had his dinner.' "'Look at them tears, sir,' said Squeers, with a triumphant air, as Master Wackford wiped his eyes with the cuff of his jacket. "'There's oiliness.' "'He looks well indeed,' returned Ralph, who, for some purposes of his own, seemed desirous to conciliate the schoolmaster. "'But how is Mrs. Squeers, and how are you?' "'Mrs. Squeers, sir,' replied the proprietor of Dotherboys, "'is as she always is, a mother to them lads, and a blessing and a comfort.' and a joy to all them as knows her. One of our boys, gorging hisself with victuals, and then turning in, that's their way, got an abscess on him last week, to see how she operated upon him with a penknife. Oh, Lord, said Squeers, heaving a sigh and nodding his head a great many times. What a member of society that woman is. Mr. Squeers indulged in a retrospective look for some quarter of a minute, as if this allusion to his lady's excellences had naturally led his mind to the peaceful village of Dotherboys near Greta Bridge in Yorkshire, and then looked at Ralph as if waiting for him to say something. "'Have you quite recovered after that scoundrel's attack?' asked Ralph. "'I've only just done it. I've only done it now,' replied Squeers. "'I was one blessed bruise, sir,' said Squeers, touching the first roots of his hair, and then his toes of his boots, from here to there, vinegar and brown paper, vinegar and brown paper, from morning to night. I suppose there was a matter of half a ream of brown paper stuck upon me, from first to last, as I laid all of a heap in our kitchen, plastered all over. You might have thought I was a large brown paper parcel, chock full of nothing but groans. Did I groan loud, Wackford, or did I groan soft? asked Mr. Squeers, appealing to his son. Loud, replied Wackford. Was the boys sorry to see me in such a dreadful condition, Wackford, or was they glad? asked Mr. Squeers in a sentimental manner. Gl eh? cried Squeers, turning sharp round. Sorry, rejoined his son. Oh, said Squeers, catching him a smart box on the ear. Then take your hands out of your pockets and don't stammer when you're asked a question. Hold your noise, sir, in a gentleman's office, or I'll run away from my family and never come back any more. And then what would become of all them precious and forlorn lads as would be let loose on the world without their best friend at their elbows? Were you obliged to have medical attendance? inquired Ralph. Aye, I was, rejoined Squeers, and a precious bill the medical attendant brought in too. But I paid it, though. Ralph elevated his eyebrows in a manner which might be expressive of either sympathy or astonishment, just as the beholder was pleased to take it. "'Yes, I paid every farthing,' replied Squeers, who seemed to know the man he had to deal with too well to suppose that any blinking of the question would induce him to subscribe towards the expenses. "'I wasn't out of pocket by it after all, either.' "'No,' said Ralph. "'Not a halfpenny,' replied Squeers. "'The fact is we only have one extra with our boys, and that is for doctors when required, and not then unless we're sure of our customers. Do you see?' "'I understand,' said Ralph. 
"'Very good,' rejoined Squeers. "'Then after my bill was run up, we picked out five little boys, "'son of small tradesmen, as was sure to pay. "'They had never had the scarlet fever, "'and we sent one to a cottage where they'd got it, and he took it. "'And then we put the four others to sleep with him, and they took it. "'Then the doctor came and attended them all round, "'and we divided my total among them, "'and added on to their little bills, and the parents paid it. Ha! <laughs> "'And a good plan, too,' said Ralph, eyeing the schoolmaster stealthily. "'I believe you,' rejoined Squeers. "'We always do it. "'Why, when Mrs. Squeers was brought to bed with little Watford here, "'we ran the whooping cough through half a dozen boys "'and charged her expenses among them. "'Monthly nurse included.' <laughs> "'Ralph never laughed, "'but on this occasion he produced the nearest approach to it that he could, "'and waiting until Mr. Squeers had enjoyed the professional joke "'at his heart's content,' inquired what had brought him to town. "'Some bothering law business,' replied Squeers, scratching his head, "'connected with an action for what they call neglect of a boy. "'I don't know what they would have. "'He's had a good a grazing that boy had as there is about us.' Ralph looked as if he did not quite understand the observation. "'Grazing,' said Squeers, raising his voice under the impression that as Ralph failed to comprehend him he must be deaf. "'When a boy gets weak and ill and don't relish his meals,' We give him a change of diet, turn him out for an hour or so every day into a neighbour's turnip field, or sometimes it's a delicate case, a turnip field and a piece of carrots alternately, and let him eat as many as he likes. There ain't a better land in the country than this perverse lad grazed on, and yet he goes and catches cold and indigestion and what not, and his friends brings a lawsuit against me. Now you'd hardly suppose, added Squeers, moving his chair with the impatience of an ill-used man, that people's ingratitude would carry them quite as far as that, would you? A hard case indeed, observed Ralph. You don't say more than the truth when you say that, replied Squeers. I don't suppose there's a man going as possesses the fondness for youth that I do. There's youth to the amount of eight hundred pound a year at Dotheboys all at this present time. I'd take sixteen hundred pound worth if I could get em, and be as fond of every individual twenty pound among em as nothing should equal it. "'Are you stopping at your old quarters?' asked Ralph. "'Yes, we're at the Saracen,' replied Squeers. "'And as it don't want very long to the end of the half-year, we, "'we shall continue to stop there till I've collected the money, "'and some new boys too, I hope. "'I've brought little Watford up on purpose to show to parents and guardians. "'I shall put him in the advertisement this time. "'Look at that boy himself, a pupil. "'Why, he's a miracle of eye feeding that boy is.' "'I should like to have a word with you,' said Ralph, who had both spoken and listened mechanically for some time, and seemed to have been thinking. "'As many words as you like, sir,' rejoined Squeers. "'Wackford, you go play in the back office, and don't move about too much, or you get thin. And that won't do. You haven't got such a thing as tuppence, Mr. Nickleby, have you?' said Squeers, rattling a bunch of keys in his pocket, and muttering something about its being all silver. "'I—' think i have said ralph very slowly and producing after much rummaging in an old drawer a penny a halfpenny and two farthings thank'ee said squeers bestowing upon it upon his son here you go and buy a tart mr nickleby's man will show you where and mind you buy a rich one pastry added squeers closing the door on master wackford makes his flesh shine a good deal and parents think that's a healthy sign with this explanation and a peculiarly unknowing look to eke it out, Mr. Squeers moved his chair so as to bring himself opposite to Ralph Nickleby, 
at no great distance off and having planted it to his entire satisfaction sat down attend to me said ralph bending forward a little squeers nodded i am not to suppose said ralph that you are dolt enough to forgive or forget very readily the violence that was committed upon you or the exposure which accompanied it devil a bit replied squeers tartly or to lose an opportunity of repaying it with interest if you could get one said ralph show me one and try rejoined squeers some such object it was that induced you to call on me said ralph raising his eyes to the schoolmaster's face mm, no i don't know that replied squeers i thought that if it was in your power to make me besides a little trifle of money you sent in any compensation ah cried ralph interrupting him you needn't go on after a long pause during which ralph appeared absorbed in contemplation he again broke the silence by asking who is this boy that he took with him squeers stated his name was he young or old healthy or sickly tractable or rebellious speak out man retorted ralph why wasn't young answered squeers that is not young for a boy you know that is he was not a boy at all i suppose interrupted ralph well returned squeers briskly as if he felt relieved by the suggestion he might have been nigh twenty he wouldn't seem old though to them as didn't know him for he was a little wanting here touching his forehead nobody at home you know if you knocked ever so often and you did knock pretty often i dare say muttered ralph well, pretty well returned squeers with a grin when you wrote to acknowledge the receipt of this trifle of money as you call it said ralph you told me his friends had deserted him long ago and that you had not the faintest clue or trace to tell you who he was is that the truth uh, it is worse look replied squeers becoming more and more easy and familiar in his manner as ralph pursued his inquiries with the less reserve it's fourteen years ago by the entry in my book since a strange man brought him to my place one autumn night and left him there paying five pound five for his first quarter in advance he might have been five or six year old at the time not more what do you know about him demanded ralph devilish little i'm sorry to say replied squeers the money was paid for some six or eight year then it stopped he had given an address in london had this chap but when it came to the point of course nobody knowed anything about him so i capped the lad out of uh charity suggested ralph dryly ah, charity to be sure returned squeers rubbing his knees and when he begins to be useful in a certain sort of way this young scoundrel of a nickleby comes and carries him off but the most vexatious and aggravating part of the whole affair is said squeers dropping his voice and drawing his chair still closer to ralph that some questions have been asked about him at last not of me but in a roundabout kind of way people of our village so that just when i might have had all arrears paid up perhaps and perhaps who knows such things have happened in our business before a present besides for putting him out to a farmer or sending him to sea so that he might never turn up to disgrace his parents supposing him to be a natural boy as many of our boys are damn if that villain of a nickleby don't go and collar him unopened one day and commit as good as highway robbery upon my pocket we will both cry quits with him before long said ralph laying his hand on the arm of the yorkshire schoolmaster quits echoed squeers ah and i should like to leave him a small balance in his favour to be settled when he can i only wish mrs squeers could catch hold of him bless her heart she'd murder him mr nickleby 
she would as soon as eat her dinner we will talk of this again said ralph it must, i must have time to think of it to wound him through his own affections and fancies if i could strike him through this boy strike him how you like sir interrupted squeers only hit him hard enough that's all and with that i'll say good morning here just chuck that little boy's hat off that corner peg and lift him off the stool will you bawling these requests to newman loggs mr squeers betook himself to the little back office and fitted on his child's hat with parental anxiety while newman with his pen behind his ear sat stiff and immovable on his stool regarding the father and son by turns with a broad stare he's a fine boy ain't he said squeers throwing his head a little on one side and falling back to the desk the better to estimate the proportions of little wackford very said newman pretty well swelled out ain't he pursued squeers he has the fatness of twenty boys he has ah replied newman suddenly thrusting his face into that of squeers he has the fatness of twenty more he's got it all god help that others ha <laughs> ha oh lord having uttered these fragmentary observations newman dropped upon his desk and began to write with most marvellous rapidity why what does that man mean cried squeers colouring is he drunk newman made no reply is he mad said squeers but still newman betrayed no consciousness of any presence save his own so mr squeers comforted himself by saying that he was both drunk and mad and with this parting observation he led his hopeful son away in exact proportion as ralph nickleby became conscious of a struggling and lingering regard for kate had his detestation of nicholas augmented it might be that to atone for the weakness of inclining to any one person he held it necessary to hate some other more intensely than before but such has been the course of his feelings and now to be defied and spurned be held up to her in the worst and most repulsive colours to know that she was taught to hate and despise him to feel that there was an infection in his touch and taint in his companionship to know all this and to know that the mover of it all was that same boyish poor relation who had twitted him in their very first interview and openly bearded and braved him since wrought his quiet and stealthy malignity to such a pitch that there was scarcely anything he would not have hazarded to gratify it if he could have seen his way to some immediate retaliation but fortunately for nicholas ralph nickleby did not and although he cast about all that day and kept a corner of his brain working on the one anxious subject throughout all the round of schemes and business that came with it night found him at last still harping on the same theme and still pursuing the same unprofitable reflections when my brother was such as he said ralph the first comparisons were drawn between us always in my disfavour he was open liberal gallant gay i a crafty hunks of cold and stagnant blood with no passion but love of saving and no spirit beyond a thirst for gain i recollected it well when i first saw this whipster but i remember it better now he had been occupied in tearing nicholas's letter into atoms and as he spoke he scattered it in a tiny shower about him recollections like these pursued ralph with a bitter smile flock upon me when i resign myself to them in crowds and from countless quarters as a portion of the world affect to despise the power of money i must try and show them what it is and being by this time in a pleasant frame of mind for slumber ralph nickleby went to bed End of chapter thirty four